Well, let's open up to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. And we're going to read uh, again verses 1 through 7. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. As uh, we continue our many-year project of moving verse by verse through this book of the Bible. And we are currently in this section having to do with Christians and how we relate to civil authorities. And I want to begin reading in verse 1. And as we look there, let's remember we are reading the very word of God. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection. Not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Now, we are continuing to unpack the command given to us at the very beginning of this passage, right there in verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. This is God's moral imperative for us concerning those who are in positions of authority. We are to submit To those civil authorities. Who is to submit? Every person. What is this submission? It is an inward attitude of honor and deference that expresses itself in respectful speech and obedient actions. Why should we submit to civil authorities? That is the issue that most of this passage has dealt with. Why? Be subject to civil authorities. And we spend a good deal of time on Paul's first answer. Namely, we should submit to civil authority to avoid the wrath of God. There is no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by Him. Civil authorities, state, federal, local, they are in particular God's avengers. Bearing the sword of justice, serving him for our good. But now, we see in verse 5 that there is another reason that we as Christians are to submit to government. For the sake of conscience. 
Once you understand that civil authority is a gift to you from God. Once you understand the role of these civil authorities in this world, how they restrain sin, how they keep the world from being as evil as it could be, your own conscience should stand against you when you seek to be unsubmissive to local laws, local regulations, state laws, federal laws, when there is disrespect in your heart disrespectful speech coming out of your mouth towards those who hold the office of president or senator or representative, governor, city council, leader, city manager. Your own conscience should wreak havoc on your soul. Your, your own conscience will condemn you if you understand what Paul is teaching here and yet you Act in an unsubmissive way towards civil authorities. When our attitudes are dishonoring, when our speech is disrespectful, when our actions are disobedient to our civil authorities, Paul says it is an act of rebellion against God Himself. Just as when children dishonor their parents and disobey their parents, that's an act against God. So when we act dishonorably towards civil authorities appointed by God and all that exists have been instituted by him, then we too are acting in rebellion against God himself. They are his servants. Civil authorities are God's appointed and deputized agents of authority in this world. Now, the New Testament has a good deal to say about our consciences and the role of our consciences in our lives. It's a subject that we sorely need to be better taught on, which is why beginning tonight, uh, we are going to take a few services to look at what the Bible says about the conscience. What is this thing that's inside of you? What is its role in your life? And how can you have a clean conscience before God? And so we're going there tonight. And so I won't say more about that this morning. And so now we're going to move to our next question about this command. When? When should we submit to governing authorities? You might think that's a strange question to ask, but we have to ask it because we know that there is more to this than just what we see in this one passage alone. If this was the only passage in the Bible that taught us about our relationship to government, we would come away thinking that there is never a time to disobey civil authorities. This passage has no exceptions. This passage has no fine print. This passage has no room for qualifications. Paul gives us the impression here in just this one passage that there are no exceptions. You always obey government all the time, no matter what. But we know about Daniel. In the lion's den. We, we know about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. We, we have the apostles telling the civil authorities in Jerusalem, we must obey God rather than men. And Paul, the same Paul who wrote these verses constantly violated the laws of local cities and found himself facing the consequences. 
Paul himself knew what it was to be imprisoned, to have rods on his back, to be struck with stones because he was acting in disobedience to civil authorities. Therefore, there there has to be a way for us to think about this. When is it right to obey governing authorities? And when is it right to disobey governing authorities? Well, first... Let us note, we've already hit on this, I'm just going to remind you, that even when civil disobedience is required, a God-centered respect and reverence for civil authorities is to be maintained. You understand that? That even when our faithfulness to God and our allegiance to God means I must disobey the laws of our land, I must disobey this regulation of our city, I must disobey that civil authority, even in that case, there ought to be an attitude of honor and respect for those civil authorities. Christians have a high view of government. Christians have a high view of the place of government in this world. We are not to mock ridicule, demean, or disrespect civil authority even when we are morally bound to disobey that authority in some matter. During the American Revolution, many Christians became convinced that they were morally bound to disobey civil authority. Many Christians became convinced in their consciences that they should join the revolution, that it was, they were obligated before God to join the rebellion against King George. And I believe they probably had good biblical grounds for that position. But even if we can vindicate those American Christians for participating in the revolution that started this nation, there was no excuse For the practices of many of them in drawing inappropriate cartoons for newspapers, composing songs and jokes of the time that showed contempt and disrespect for those positions of civil authority. In city after city during the American Revolution, effigies were made and hung on trees. Right? These, these were dummies. These were roughly made models of, of certain civil leaders. Uh, for example, effigies were made of those people who had been appointed by King George's administration to collect the taxes of the Stamp Act. And so gangs of people would create these effigies of their local tax collector. And they would hang up that effigy on, on a tree. And then they would get the group together and they would publicly beat that dummy. And then they would set the dummy on fire. And the point was clear. That's that's how they felt about these people in power. In Boston first, and then increasingly throughout the colonies, gangs of people began to openly attack the homes of the stamp tax collectors. They would burst out their windows. They threatened their families. All before war was even declared. And so we need to be clear, there is no biblical justification for that kind of action. Christians may sometimes come to the point where obedience to God means disobedience to a civil authority. But we must never be disrespectful. We must never be dishonoring in our base attitudes and actions towards civil government. At default, we are a people of submission. Submission. 
We are to honor and respect those above us, even in moments when we are required by God to disobey them. Children, as you get older, as you move out of your parents' homes, this isn't in my notes, but I think it's a good application. This is how you should think about your relationship with your parents. There may be a day when you're, when you're an older person, you're an adult, and you know that your parents would want you to go this way, and you are convinced before God you must go that way. Well, even as you end up going a different direction than your parents would have you go, you are to continue to treat them with honor and respect and deference, even as you obey God, rather than what they would have you do. We are always to have a default attitude of respect and submission for the authorities God has given us in our lives. Now, if all that's true, how do we know when we've reached that moment when we must disobey civil government? And the reality is we've already done a study of this. We did a study of this back in the book of Daniel. And so we're not going to take two or three sermons like we did there to unpack this. I'm just going to remind you of what we saw and the conclusions we reached. So here's our second point for this morning. And this was the conclusion we reached in our study of Daniel. Civil disobedience is required when we are commanded to violate the law of God, rightly understood and rightly applied. So let me say it again. Hear carefully what I'm saying. Civil disobedience is required when we are commanded to violate the law of our God, rightly understood and rightly applied. So in the book of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar is a civil authority. He's the king. And he says, you must worship an idol. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know very well. That to worship an idol is to violate the first two of the Ten Commandments. They are to worship no one but God alone, and they are not to worship images. And so in that case, they were required by God to disobey their king in order not to violate the law of God. We must obey God rather than men when the commands of men tell us to disobey the laws of God. But remember... We hit hard in our study of Daniel on the words, the law of God rightly understood and rightly applied. And so here's the example I used then. Imagine that tomorrow comes on the news, the state legislature of North Carolina has declared that all North Carolinians must eat shrimp every day. The shrimp industry in North Carolina has taken a hit. We need to support the shrimp industry. Here's a new law. All North Carolinians must eat shrimp every day. Now, that would be weird. Okay. But ignore that. Would it be right for us to say, I'm going to disobey that command because of Leviticus 11? Leviticus 11 says that a person is not to eat anything that comes out of the sea unless it has fins and scales. If it doesn't have both fins and scales and it comes out of the sea, Leviticus 11 says it's off limits. But North Carolina government is telling us all to eat shrimp and to eat a bunch of it. 
should we disobey that law? And I would say no. We might not like eating shrimp every single day. We might get tired of it. But we would not have biblical grounds for disobeying that law. Why? Because that's not applying God's law rightly. Commands of the Old Testament, this is so important for debates in our day, commands of the Old Testament have abiding principles and peculiar applications. We are to learn the abiding principle while understanding that the peculiar application may be different for, say, Old Testament Israel and for Rocky Mount, North Carolina citizen in 2019. In Leviticus 11, God was teaching Israel to distinguish between things that were clean and unclean. God was concerned for their souls. He was helping them be thoughtful and sober-minded in their decisions and to discern between things that would lead people to Him and lead them away from Him. And so God selected some foods. God selected some animals. God selected some creatures and declared, these are going to be called clean. These are going to be called unclean to help you be sober-minded in the decisions you make in your life. And there is an abiding principle there for us. The, 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 the abiding principle is that we too are to abstain from anything that is truly unclean. When your friends say, hey, let's go over and watch this movie, and you know in your conscience that movie is unclean, you ought to say, that's like the shrimp in Leviticus 11. I'm not going to do that. The abiding principle remains, but the peculiar application is different. The New Testament makes clear that now all foods for us are clean. So it would not be right to say, I'm going to stand up in civil disobedience against that law of North Carolina because of the word of God. No, you need to make sure you have the word of God and that you know how to apply it rightly. Which is why, dear Christians, I want to say more than in any generation before, we need to know our Bibles and we need to be skilled in handling our Bibles. I want to say more than any other generation before, but the people in the time that Paul wrote this, their society was pretty messed up too. They were dealing with some pretty tough stuff too. They needed to know the word of God too. We came to another conclusion in our study of Daniel. I'll make this our third point this morning. Civil disobedience is required... We already said civil disobedience is required if a law of man tells you to violate a law of God, rightly understood, rightly applied. We got that. Third point, civil disobedience is required when we are convinced in our consciences, informed by the word of God, that to obey a civil authority would be sin. So if I become convinced in my conscience, informed by the word of God, that to obey that command would be sin, I must not obey. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew in their hearts and they knew because of their consciences informed by the word of God that they must not obey the idol. They must not bow down. This is how it was for the apostles when they were commanded not to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. John Bunyan, John Bunyan spent, what was it, 14 years in prison, and he could have walked out any day. 
They said, don't preach the gospel you've been preaching anymore. He was a Baptist. Okay? He was a Baptist, and they didn't like that he was teaching Baptist truths. And they said, if you will just stop preaching these, these Baptist teachings, we will let you out of jail. And he was convinced in his conscience that if he obeyed them and just stopped preaching, he would be sinning against God. And so he stayed in prison for 14 years, separated from his wife, separated from his blind daughter. Isn't it interesting how this comes back to conscience? That's why we're going to spend more time on that subject tonight. Under the authority of Jesus Christ, under the authority of the Bible, the highest authority in your life is your conscience. There may be times when you should not submit to governing authority. There may be times when you should not submit to parental authority. There may be times when you should not submit to the elders of your church. If this government or your parents or your church leaders are telling you to do something that is against God, you must not obey them. But you are never to disobey your conscience. Your conscience is to be captured by the word of God. And you're to obey your conscience. Your conscience is a gift from God to help you apply the Bible to your life and to keep you walking in holiness. Both 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14 make clear that if your conscience is convinced that something is wrong and you go ahead and do it, you've sinned. Even if your conscience is misinformed. I am utterly convinced that there is nothing wrong with Christians playing card games. I grew up in a card-playing family. Rook, canasta, rummy, hand and foot. I mean, this this was life for us in Northampton County, okay? This is what you did on an evening, is you played card games. There are some Christians who are convinced in their consciences that playing cards is sinful. And you know what? For them, it is. That is, if they believe something is wicked, and then they do it anyway, that's sin for them. If if I am convinced that playing the piano is sinful, it's not. But if I'm convinced that playing the piano is sinful and then I go ahead and do it anyway, I've sinned. Why? Because I thought it was wicked and I chose to do it anyway. So make sure that your conscience is informed by the word of God. Make sure that you're being educated about what is truly right and truly wrong. So when can we violate civil authorities? When can we disobey civil authorities? We're never in our attitude. We're always to honor civil authorities in our attitude, in our speech, even in the way we act. But there are times to be disobedient to civil authorities. When the laws of man tell you to violate the laws of God, and when your conscience is convinced and informed by the word of God that to obey that civil authority would be to sin. In those cases, you must disobey that civil authority. There'll be a time for questions tonight. Final question about our command in this passage. How? Okay, Paul, 
You've told us a lot here. You've told us we're to, to submit to civil authorities. You've told us how to, or you told us why to do it. You've told us what it looks like. But how? What does it practically look like, Paul? Look at verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. So really, verse 7 gives us a general principle about how submission should play out in our lives. And we're given four applications of that principle. The general principle is pay to all what is owed to them. And the four applications are, if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe revenue, pay revenue. If you owe respect, pay respect. If you owe honor, pay honor. What we see here is that God has created us and God has created this world in such a way that you cannot avoid owing debts. We are dependent beings. By our nature, we rely on God every second of every day and we rely on others. Which means we're always going to be indebted to others around us. There's always going to be something we owe to the people around us. This is what makes us radically different from God. God owes no one nothing. God is under no obligation to any man. God is the I am. Completely self-sufficient. When we're thinking rightly... We understand there is nothing we can offer up to God that doesn't ultimately come from Him to begin with. Acts 17 verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, He does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So you're very different from God. God is the creator of all. God is the origin of all that exists. He cannot be truly served by human hands in the sense that we can meet any need in Him. God has no needs. There is no lack in God which we can fill. Without God, we'd cease to exist. Without us, God would be just fine. But we're creatures. And the very essence of being a creature is that you are not self-sufficient. We live a life of dependency on others. And righteousness demands that when we receive from others, we respond with proper gratitude, with proper honor, with proper respect. There is a proper honor that you owe your parents simply because they gave life to you and cared for you. They were agents of authority in your life that God used for your good. There is a proper honor that you owe your employer because your employer has provided a means of employment for you, an opportunity to use your abilities and skills for good in this world. And there's a proper honor that you owe civil authorities because they also exist for your good. First uh, Peter chapter 2, hear these verses afresh. Peter says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme 
or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good? For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using that freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And then Peter says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Think about your life this morning. Who are all the many people that God has used to give you the blessings you have? Many of them you have never met. Certainly when it comes to civil authorities, there are many who are working for your good whom you have never met. Even if they are the worst sort of politician, with selfish designs and wicked ambition, God is still working through them for your good. Think about those who work for public utilities, or for law enforcement, or for state health programs. Think about the roads you drive on every day or the infrastructure that makes your way of life possible. Think about those who deal with your garbage and who make sure your drinking water is safe. And those who protect the paths of airplanes flying over your house. There are so many people that God is using for your good. And because of this, and because it's all by His appointment, There is a proper respect and there is a proper honor that these people are due. Even if some of those people are very dishonorable in themselves, their offices and their work call for us to honor them. Now, Paul mentions taxes. Yay. Let me make several points here. We'll move quickly. First, we see that these taxes are levied to support the civil authorities in their work. That's verse 6, right? Because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. This very thing is what Paul has just been talking about. They bear the sword of God's justice. They punish evildoers. They bring justice and order to society. And they are ministers of God. They they serve God in this. They serve you in this. And therefore, taxes is part of what you owe to help them fulfill this God-appointed mandate. Notice Paul does not go into any sort of discussion about appropriate taxes versus inappropriate taxes. So in recent days, I've heard many Christians repeating the statement, taxation is theft. I wonder if you've ever heard anybody say that. Taxation is theft. The argument seems to work like this. If anybody else was to forcibly demand that you give them money that you've worked hard for, that would be theft. So why does government get a pass? Why is it right for government to do what no one else can do and demand that you give the money that you've worked for? But Matt Harmon, we've already seen that there is a difference between the way people are to live and act as individuals and the special responsibilities and obligations given to civil authorities. God gives civil authorities functioning in the capacity of their offices authority that is not given to people outside of those offices. Romans 12 says never avenge yourself. 
Romans 12 says respond to those who harm you with love. Romans 12 says do not seek your own justice. And then in Romans 13, speaking of those in civil authority, he says you do execute justice. You do have the authority to punish the evildoer. And so they do this as God's agents. What would not be right for these people outside of their God-given civil office is right for them to do in that office. If you get slapped walking down the street, you are called to turn the other cheek. But if you're the judge that's hearing the case of a person who was slapped going down the street, it is right for you to issue a penalty. Because you're acting as a civil authority. In the same way, it would be wrong for me to come up to you and with a gun in my hand and say, you must give me money you've worked hard for. That would be wrong. But civil authorities, acting in the role that God has given them, do have the right to say to you, give us some of what you've earned that we may fulfill our role of bringing order and justice to society. Now, that doesn't change the fact that governments can, and frankly often do, enact unjust taxes. In other words, like any other position of authority, civil leaders often misuse their power. Civil leaders often levy taxes that are too steep or that are unfair. But the misuse of authority and the abuse of authority doesn't change the fact that they still have that God-given authority. And this applies to taxes used for wicked purposes. It turns my stomach to think that $500 million of taxpayer money goes to support Planned Parenthood every year. That the leading provider of abortions in our country receives $500 million of tax money. Some of my tax money going to support abortion. That makes me sick. And we could name a hundred other lesser things that our tax money goes to that we say, I cannot believe my tax money is going to support that. But remember... God is judge. And if men or women in positions of power use tax money for immoral purposes, they will stand in judgment for that. If we vote to put immoral people in those positions of power, we will stand in judgment for those votes. But none of this gives us an excuse to withhold our taxes. Paying taxes is not immoral, but an act of submission that we're obligated to perform, even with those who collect the taxes, do wicked with them. Those who have authority over what happens with our taxes, they will be held to account by God. So our second point about taxation is that taxation by civil authorities is not theft. And our third point is that civil authorities can and do abuse that power, including their power to tax. And our fourth point is that God will hold those civil authorities to account. Now, this should remind you of something that happened in the life of our Savior. Matthew 22, the religious leaders are laying a trap for Jesus. And they ask him a question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
And of course it was lawful to pay taxes to Caesar under Roman law. That's the whole point. But they're not talking about Roman law. They're talking about God's law. Is it lawful before God to pay taxes to Caesar? Jesus asked them to show him the coin that Roman subjects use in paying the tax. It wasn't just any coin. The, tax that, the, the coin that was used to pay the Roman tax was a Roman denarius. It has the head of Caesar, in that case, Emperor Tiberius, uh, on one side of it. It had the inscription, Caesar Augustus Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus, on the coin. Tonight I'll bring some. I'll have some in here. You can look at them. So Jesus held up the coin, and he asked the leaders there, Whose face, whose inscription is this? Answer, Caesar's. And Jesus said, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. In other words, here's his point. Here you are using money to buy things and to do things in life provided for you by the emperor. The emperor makes your money possible. That's why his face is on it. You're, you're living in his empire. He has the right to demand that you give a portion of his money back. The king makes your money possible. You're using the money that he has made possible. Therefore, the king has the right to demand that a portion of it be given back to him. This is part of that give to someone what you owe them. You're a dependent being. You live in a world where you have to depend on systems provided for you by other people, including economic systems. This is a good time for us to remember that we in America have bought into a system of currency called fiat money. That is, it's money only because the government has declared that it's money. That dollar bill in your pocket is not even worth a penny in and of itself. Uh, that dollar bill in your pocket is just a scrap of paper. It is only worth a dollar when you go to Piggly Wiggly because the government has mandated that Piggly Wiggly must treat that scrap of paper as a dollar. Fiat means it is so by declaration. The government has declared this is worth this much and you are under criminal prosecution if you don't treat it as that worth that much. And so we live in a society where that economic system is provided for us even if most of your money is now paperless, even if it moves from your place of employment to your bank account to this bill over here all in, in the digital world, it's still all happening in the economic system created by and overseen by our government. What makes Jesus' answer so wise is not just the simplicity of it. All right, you're being provided this, you need to give something back. But the fact that he was making an analogy that he takes the conversation from Caesar to God. Caesar has made things possible for you. Caesar rules over you. Therefore, he has the right to demand that you give him his due in the same way God's given you everything. Everything you have in life is from God, and therefore God has the right to demand of you whatever he wills. In fact, this is the point Jesus is making. Just as the coin bore the image of Caesar, and therefore Caesar has the right to demand that that coin be used for his purposes, so human beings bear the image of God. And God has the right to demand that we live according to his purposes. More fundamental than giving to Caesar what is Caesar's is to give to God what is God's. 
which is ourselves. Here in Romans 13, we see that paying taxes is just part of ultimately giving to God what is God's. For governments only exist by his sovereign will as his deputies for our good. And when we submit to our government in this way, we are submitting to God himself. I'm sorry we're going so far over. I'm going to close it right now, okay? Very quickly. Three brief, and I do mean brief, words of application, okay? Number one, let us examine our hearts to see if there are negative attitudes toward government in us. There is a difference between sober judgment and grieving the sins of our political leaders and longing for a godlier government. There's a difference between that and having hatred or bitterness towards governing authorities in our heart. We should grieve the sins of our government. It is right to respectfully call for changes. It is right to express your political opinions if you do so in a dignified way. And frankly, as Christians, we are obligated to expose the works of darkness, to speak truth to those in power, to cry out boldly about God's principles of righteousness. But as we do so, we must not adopt the attitude of Satan who hated God's authority and sought to rebel against it. Government authority is ultimately God's authority, and we must never follow the devil's path. So just examine yourself. Are there attitudes you've been holding towards governing authorities, people in governing positions that you need to repent of? And will you be different because of what we've seen in this passage over the last few messages? Even if you must disobey, will you do so with a sense of honor and respect in your heart? Towards authorities. Second application. Let us remember that Jesus came and lived and died and rose to save us from all our sins, including this sin. Treating authorities with dishonor, disrespect, and willful disobedience is sin. It is sin deserving of an eternity in hell. It is a sin that grieves the very heart of our holy God. And my guess is that every one of us in this room is guilty of this sin. Every one of us in this room has inwardly at times said, I don't want to pay taxes. All of us old enough to have done that. Okay? We don't want to do that. That's a serious sin. And it's only by the blood of Jesus that we are cleansed from that sin. Let us rejoice in Jesus. Let us trust him if we've not trusted him. Third application. Let this whole study be a fresh call to us to pray for those in civil positions of leadership. We need to pray for them not only because those in leadership need our prayers, but we need to pray for them because it's good for us. It helps us to have a better attitude and to speak more carefully about civil leaders when we have been lifting them up to God in prayer. When we've been asking God to do good through them. And so we ought to give ourselves anew to the work of lifting up our government leaders to the throne of grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.